What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Before we get rolling, I just want to quickly shout out the three companies that are supporting this show. The first is CoinKite. You've probably heard of them. They are the makers of the Bitcoin, the gold standard Bitcoin hardware wallet, the cold card. Phenomenal device. If you're not taking custody of your Bitcoin, this is an excellent way to do so. And of course, if you're looking to round out a multi-signature scheme, it's compatible with several wallets to do just that. Lots of other fun products in the store if you're a Bitcoin enthusiast. I highly recommend you check them out. Go to coinkite.com to learn more. If you're buying Bitcoin in Canada, bullbitcoin.com is the place to do it. Go there, have a receive address ready, so generated from your cold card hardware wallet. Put it in in your buy order, and as soon as you buy Bitcoin, the exchange never holds your money. They send it directly to your own storage, your own address. And that means that they can never, you know, a fuck up or a rogue employee can never steal your Bitcoin it goes directly from your purchase order into your custody. If you want to maximize security and privacy, I think that's the way to do it. They are also the people behind BitcoinSupport.com. We all know people in our lives that are terrified of engaging with Bitcoin. Maybe they're interested, but they don't know how to get everything set up. That's what BitcoinSupport.com is for. They hold your hand, make sure you know how to buy it, secure it properly, and then you're off to the races. Check them out if you or someone in your life falls into that category. And finally, the Bitcoin 2022 conference, April 6th to the 9th in Miami. It's going to be a massive party celebrating this emerging culture and this emerging or this emergence of freedom in the world. And uh, there's going to be a lot of phenomenal speakers. Apparently, Nayib Bukele has another big announcement this year. And to top it all off, the Sound Money Fest is a big giant party for us all to get down with our homies and plebs. Steve Aoki and Logic are headlining. Dead Mouse is going to be performing. I'm sure it's going to be an awesome time. I can't wait. Uh, use the code RAPIDFIRE at checkout to get yourself 10% off. That's it. Enjoy. Let's do it. And we're being live stream. What's up, buddy? How you doing? What's up, man? Uh, good to see you. It's been a while. Can you see this behind me? I can. I love it. When it, first, when, it like, when it first hit the scene, I didn't, like, it didn't immediately hit for me. And now, you know... <laughs> It applies to so many people. You know, I see Sam Harris tweeting <laughs> tweeting today and then and then his like his female version, the uh what's her name? Claire, someone in uh Australia or New Zealand. She runs Killette or something, and you know, just strong midwit vibes all over the place, I guess, is what I'm saying. Oh man. Well, I mean, so, so what Sam Harris, you're saying, I mean, because I think he's the classic midwit. That's what I'm saying. Is that, is that what, yeah. yeah, okay, okay, yeah. okay, Yeah. Um, yeah. So how are things? Things are good, man. I um, you know, there's going to be some big changes in my life over the coming over the coming months, which I'll tell you about hopefully when we catch up in Miami. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to be spending more time writing, and uh, me and awesome. Mark Moss just finished the book. Uh, it's going to really? come out for the conference. Yeah, so um, we did a book sprint four or five days. Um, and it's going to be called, I, I can announce the name. Uh, it's called the Uncommunist Manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. It's, That's awesome. It's a really, yeah, it's a really good book. It's super short. So it's kind of like the Communist Manifesto in that it's short. Like the Communist Manifesto, I think is seven and a half thousand words. Our one was like 10,000. Um, and basically what we, did, what we did was we went in and we, we f first just, demolish this premise that it's supposed that you know the history of the world has been the uh oppressors versus the oppressed right so so we kind of demolished that premise and said that the history of humanity is struggling against everything and there's always 
some level of oppressor and oppressed, but it's like it's, it's this complex struggle that is always that has always existed and will always exist. So we moved away from arbitrary class classification to this idea of the struggle between the autonomous individual and the um, coercive collective, basically. Mm. And, and that, that's sort of like the real dimension of the struggle. Um, so, so we sort of did that. And then the other path, the path that we did was something that I've just been thinking about for a while now, which is separating uh, economics from politics. Um, and, and as we were doing that, like part of my epiphany in writing the, the five Bitcoin teleportation piece is this idea of, we, we always say Bitcoin separates money and state. But I think it does something more important in that it separates economics and politics. And that's kind of like, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a level deeper because economics is something that exists at kind of the level of physics, biology, chemistry. Like it's, it's a natural uh, state of things. So when, when you look at, uh, if we use the Brandon Quidam-esque um, analogy, like mushrooms, Mushrooms are actually performing economic calculation and action in order to grow, in order to spread, in order to do stuff. They're, they're harnessing energy and they're transforming it through some sort of biological process and they're, and they're growing and they're expanding and they're doing that. So if they grow and expand in a, in a bad way, they get pain or they get correction, they get feedback so that they adjust and expand in the, in the correct way. So it's like biology, um, fucking down to physics, like it, it, they're all economic in nature and, and, this is something that we tried to like put into the book is that the real spectrum is not political left or right. It's actually looks more like a T and you've got economics on one side or capitalism. Like it's, it's an organic process, bottom up emergent. And on the other side is actually politics and politics is an attempt to try and map territories, but it is always infected by biases. And you actually get this kind of spectrum of politics, which is left and right, but it is on the other side of economics and capitalism, which is an organic emergent process that happens. Like capitalism actually exists in socialism. It exists in fascism. It exists in democracies. It exists in all political systems because it just exists. We're all taking, like if, if the best metaphysical definition of capitalism is the transformation of chaos into order. That, that's literally what we're doing. We're, we're taking stuff, it's chaotic, we're transforming it into order, and we have a higher order chaos, which we then do, you know, and that process continues. It gets all fucked up and distorted when we politicize it. And tying that back to Bitcoin is Bitcoin kind of separates politics and economics um, and, you know, puts us on rails, which are more, um, more conducive to nature. So anyway, uh, to answer your question, what's new? That book's new <laughs> and it ties into all this shit. Yeah, well, I mean, of course I agree with that. And so is, I mean, is this book, I mean, is it is it for the times where, because I mean, as you say, I think one of the fundamental, uh, the forces that play on people and that play on societies, and especially when politics are so influential, like when you don't have a natural and corruptible means of, a rails for these transactions, these value uh, exchanges that that characterize capitalism, let's say, and capitalism in the broadest sense, of, as you just used it, then of course, like discretion and and comes into it, and that's what politics is. And you know that that 
eternal battle between, and it's really interesting that, I don't know if you've ever read um, The Origins and History of Consciousness by Eric Neumann. It's one of the guys that Peterson always quotes. And he actually, you know, interprets- I just downloaded the, it after I saw your tweet. Yeah, he so interprets the, the symbol, like religious and mythical symbolism uh, in the, like, psychologically speaking. And so, you know, basically all of these different representations of, you know, the hero, you know, killing the calf or the mother coddling the, the hero and all this kind of stuff is a representation of the attempt or to characterize the dynamic of uh, the individual and integrated, like fully integrated self and the, the benefits, but also the dangers of the, the, the safety of the collective, let's say, mm-hmm. basically <laughs> trying to characterize the struggle and the pitfalls of emerging into the world as highly vulnerable and therefore dependent upon the safety of the collective, be it your mother, your family, your culture, your society, et cetera. And then as you grow and mature, being able to extricate yourself from that dependency, but then feeding into it in a manner that's, that's productive, but, but from a, a standpoint of sovereignty and independence, basically something like that. And, you know, this, and the reason why it's an evolution is because, you know, 200,000 years ago, let's say, we were, we were far more, we acted far more communally. Like there was a <laughs> far less individuation between, you know, uh, anatom- anatomically modern humans. And then as the landscape of meaning expands and as we develop more and as culture emerges, there's more ways in which we're able to identify in ways differently than those with whom we're interacting. And so we become individuated through this process. We, co- we, we, we develop a greater sense of individuality. And that is part and parcel, I guess, is the thesis of his book of the evolution of consciousness itself, going from kind of like what he calls a participation mystique, where like you are the group to you are an individual contributing to a group, but with clear lines of demarcation between the mm-hmm. two. And that the latter is a far more beneficial means of an, being, you know, basically having experience of having a human experience mm-hmm. well it's it's the it's the hero archetype again recapitulated right where it's it's not like being isolated and alone and, and a loner is the ideal nor is identifying purely with the collective it's having both in their proper places so that you can mm-hmm. find that mm-hmm. proper synthesis between the two and you know i think maybe the genesis of a book like the one that you guys just wrote is we're clearly in a time where we've fallen way too much into the collectivist mindset where everybody totally, identifies yeah. as the collective and the safety of the collective is paramount. And, you know, the individual in many cases is derided and criticized and, you know, all that jazz. So it, I feel like, yeah. it's a, you know, it's a good book for the times, let's say. Very much so. I mean, the, the hope is that um, it becomes, I mean, I, I read a stat somewhere that, the, the Communist Manifesto is the most read economic uh, essay or book in history. And I was like, I know, I was like, if that's not an indicator of how retarded the world is, I don't fucking know what is. So um, who knows? Like, you know, it, it came out in a period of, um, I mean, look, to, to, to grant um, Marx and his ilk, um, the benefit of the doubt like society was transforming then as it is now like at a much faster pace um and the marxist kind of much like the luddites i guess didn't have the um 
at least the historical frame of reference that you and I might have to say, mm. to look back and see that the, the process of creative destruction um, does come with it, does have pain that comes with it, but it, um, it produces something new. Like there, there isn't ever like to believe that uh, the destructive element of the creative destructive process of progress um, somehow reaches a zenith is to assume that, you know, potential is limited, um, which we know it's not like human beings will always find a new dimension of something to, to, I mean, if we don't have any problems, what do we do? We just go and create a fucking problem. Like, you right, know, right. And if anyone doesn't believe me, get yourself a girlfriend. You'll see. <laughs> like everything will be perfect. <laughs> just I don't know. It'll be a fucking drama. Why? Just because that's what humans do. <laughs> so it's um it's like that kind of ideology seems to me um it, it's it's very ignorant of the human condition, right? Like and Marx's whole thing was like if we just remove privation, everyone will be happy. You know what I mean? So it's like, all right, so to remove privation, let's just take all the rich people's money and give it to everyone and everyone will be happy. We, and we, we know what that turns into now that we you know, have some hindsight. Now, I mean, I guess to, to, to loop that in is our hope is that in writing this book that it may one day also be looked upon as a pivotal book for the times because it, once again, kind of, it's, it's in we're pointing out a problem of the time, but hope, hopefully the, um, the solution is not one of decree, which is Marx pointed out a problem at the time, which was a problem during the period that he was alive, was, you know, fucking ugly conditions in cities and all that sort of stuff, you know, and, and the destruction of resources. There was definitely problems, but he had so little faith in humanity that, he believed that was the status quo. Like that's what it would look like forever instead of progress kind of climbing us out of that. Um, and the point that we try and make is once again, point out the problem of today, but instead of a solution that involves confiscation, the solution is to get out of the way yeah. um, and allow individual sovereign autonomous beings to rise up and actually um, do something about it in for themselves and in the environment that they can locally impact, um, which is a very different thing to well, let's wipe out anyone better than us. Like, you know, I've got a quote in there, which is um, kind of like a parody on Marx, which is, you know, you've got, if you can't beat them, join them. And then Marx was like, if you can't beat them, kill them. It's <laughs> kind of the, the communist yeah. manifest that's summed up. You know, it's, it's, it's the fatal conceit that characterizes those sorts of philosophies, but also obviously prevalent today. I mean, what, there's a lot of quote-unquote quote Marxism in most political structures today. I mean, you look at the size and scale of government. And, and that conceit is that they think they can figure out everything mm -hmm. that should and can be, and then they attempt, sometimes, maybe even most often, uh, with good intentions to bring it about. And as you're saying, they, they, they fail to recognize the critical importance of the, the process of emergent order, right? So what you want to do is you want to put the proper constituent principles in place that foster emergent order, and you will get something far more complex, far more harmonious, mm -hmm. far more productive, far more efficient than anything you could ever 
sit behind, you know, a pen and pad or even a super cute supercomputer and figure out like every okay, well, we need to get a pair of shoes for everybody and a shirt for everybody. And and surely this, you know, high speed rail is a good idea here. Like you end up just destroying resources rather than creating new resources and creating new capital and discovering new value, as you were saying. And that seems like a real challenging um, thing. To, now, there's lots of stuff wrapped in, wrapped up in that as well, right? Because someone who has the type of ego and hubris and arrogance to presume that they can and should control other people and dictate to other people what's best for them, that type of apparatus is just really attractive to them. And so, totally. you know, what do you know? They gravitate to that. And we have a, a history of, you know, a maybe some good ideas, maybe an attempt at organizing ourselves best. And then the very people who are worst for that apparatus are the ones that are most attracted to it. And, you know, here we have the state of the world and, and why Bitcoin is so compelling and interesting is that it is that uh, like immutable, unchangeable base, you know, foundation rails for an emergent order to be fostered and, and that nobody can, you know, uh, commandeer the, the reins of. And therefore, we, what we should expect from that is a far more, you know, far more abundant, complex, beneficial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, emergent order to come from that. And, you know, we're just in that period right now where we're being, you know, torn out of the old way as we move into the new one. And of course, it's going to be messy and uncomfortable and, you know, all sorts of that kind of stuff. But Dude, that, that's a perfect segue into the piece, right? Because what, what I wanted to write here with five Bitcoin teleportation is like, it's obviously a fucking meme and it's obviously a thought experiment, right? Like we had things before Bitcoin that were important, like writing, right? You know, like electricity, you know, th these are all important. But the, 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 what I'm trying to point out with this piece is to get people to think beyond the fucking green and red dildos on the chart and beyond the price and beyond the next um, ETF uh, announcement and beyond, you know, the hash rate and beyond, you know, what's the US government going to do? What regulations? Like Bitcoin is so much fucking greater than that because of what it does to human behavior. Um, and because it, it, it kind of puts a short leash on politics in the sense that um, in, in today's day and age, and me and Gladstein when we were debating about democracy, right? And, you know, I always take the position that I hate fucking democracy, you know, for, for many reasons. But one of the reasons is why you mentioned is that you, you, you create these systems of representative rule and the people who are generally attracted and the best at coming into power in those systems of representative rule are the most parasitic individuals of all. So, so you always end up getting institutional decay. And what ends up happening is they can use political power to amass economic power. And then with that extra economic power, they can retain political power. And it becomes this kind of, uh, we shouldn't even call it a virtuous cycle, but it becomes this feedback loop, right? Which mm -hmm. is non-virtuous, obviously, but it, it decays the system until um, reality, until the, the, the false map that they've created breaks under the gravity of the reality or the territory that it is. And for me, what I wanted to do with this piece is kind of get people's thinking to transcend Bitcoin as just a, a, a tool of, like, it's not just sound money. It's not just a fucking asset, you know, whoop de doo da that's fine. You know, we're going to get rich and all that sort of stuff. Congratulations. But the, the, the fact that it will 
it will make the game that we play, the economic game that we play as individuals, function like real life, meaning that there's no rewind button. There's no um, button where you can press to just like wipe the balance sheet clean. Like I always use the example of China and the ghost cities. They go and build a whole fucking city. No one moves in there. Oh, we need more GDP. Knock the whole fucking thing down um, and build it again. So, so you wasted real resources. You wasted real energy, you wasted real time, but your balance sheet doesn't reflect that, right? Because you just printed some more money, you made it up out of thin air. So, so all of the, those falsities dissolve in the reality of Bitcoin. And then at the macro and micro level, what it does is it actually forces behavior that actually looks and feels more like real life. And the example that I used last night at the, um, at the little meetup was the way central banking and government work is that I'm going to jump off a cliff and you're going to die. Mm. Right. So, so it's like, it's completely fucking detached from reality. Um, it's like, I'll do something and someone else will pay for it. And, and what else do we expect in a system like that? Can you expect anything else but fucking madness? No, because like there's no consequence. So Bitcoin creating, you know, reintroducing economic consequence to behavior at the micro and the macro um, and doing it in a way that is not political, but just Bitcoin just basically says, all right, the game that we all play now looks like reality. So, so the map represents the territory now. It's not political. It's not my way or anyone's way. Here it is. It's, it's you know, reality. And now it's up to you to use it or not. Um, fuck, man, that is just so fundamentally profound. And again, the whole basis of this piece is that Bitcoin is a step function change in the way we exist more mm-hmm. than just, oh, sound money. Oh, we're going to go back to the gold standard. It's like, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I think, and, and I think a lot of Bitcoiners, to be fair, are are privy to that, right? They they <laughs> see, they, they get cosmic as fuck and they, they see a lot of that stuff. And, you know, it's because I've been exploring a lot lately, just, well, getting getting pretty cosmic and looking at like the, uh, the religious impulse that seems to be emerging around a lot of Bitcoiners and why that might be the case. And, we don't have to delve into that here, but just to say that obviously the way that nature works is a reflection of a way that the pattern above it works and the pattern above that and the pattern above that. So, the, you know, the reason why the natural world as we experience it functions the way it does is because of the way that, you know, the, the sun, the size of our, our sun, the way that it moves, the moon, the, you know, the cos- the uh, you know, the winds, all that stuff, right? All of those other patterns that are, let's say, in order above it, mm-hmm. you know, affect the lower pattern and, and shape it primarily. And that happens, you know, through every scale of existence, right? And in this, in this sort of a way, we, you know, you, you might have heard like your, your pothead friend or your psychedelic friend talk about how reality is fractal. And, you know, I'm sure there's many ways you could interpret that, but just it's pretty simple. Like if you start, looking at the the way that like a leaf transfers energy you know around its structure and then you zoom out and you zoom out and you see the patterns of the forest and you zoom out and zoom out and you see the solar system you zoom out you see the 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 galaxy and so there's like it's just pattern nestled within pattern nestled within pattern Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and if this thing really is um allowing us to align more with Mm -hmm. the the true patterns of nature which i think is probably the assertion you're making and i agree with it Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. it 
it kind of you can understand why it invokes or evokes a a, a type of religious or spiritual impulse because you're literally connecting yourself with the ground of being, you know, mm, on it, across mm, every mm. scale, simply by uh, conforming more with the rhythm or pattern of the reality that you're most closely embedded in, like the one, <laughs> like maybe one order above you or something like that. And, you know, I, I don't know what comes of that in terms of human social organization. I mean, I, I share, I think a lot of good, um, but it's, it's interesting to consider because, you know, I mean, in many ways, humans try to transcend nature. And now maybe in some cases that goes too far and we get something like fiat where we just try to pretend it doesn't exist to our, mm -hmm. you know, to our detriment. But obviously part of, you know, developing as we have has been to transcend nature in certain ways. So what do you like? And I, I didn't hear uh, yours and Gladstein's um, discussion about democracy and political structure and that kind of stuff. But what do you I mean, do you have thoughts on and obviously this will be different based on the time scale that we're talking about. But when you look into the future and you we're on a Bitcoin standard, how do you see human coordination outside of, let's say, what emerges from self-interest and voluntary exchange? Mm. First of all, beautiful, beautiful set of analogies there, man. Um, I love the the idea about like the the fractal nature of existence. It's such a such a beautiful thing, and that that I think the the awe we're inspired with when we find that out, like I think, is as you said, evident in people's falling down the rabbit hole process. It's, you know, you're just in awe at like, holy fuck, it's fractals. It's fractals all the way down, right? Well, it helps. Um, it helps. It helps your your perception of so many things click and fit into place. You know, that's, that's what truth does. Truth isn't just like one epiphany. Truth is the epiphany that makes everything else fit together and work. And that's, that's I think, what, why there's such, an, there's such a profound influence when you stumble upon a, tru a truth like that. And it seems to be that Bitcoin is one of them, perhaps for that very reason, because it is so correct. connected and conforms so well to- everything. So true. That reminds me of what I, when I was debating with that BitBoy, FatBoy, um, you know, I was, he was trying to say, you, you Bitcoiners are a cult. And I was like, no, 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 there's a, there's cults and then there's the discovery of truth um, and they're two different things, right? So, so cult is more like a, an attempt to, um, to believe the map, not the territory, right? And Bitcoin is an opportunity to have discovered the territory and find that truth. And it's like, it links into everything. So, but anyway, to, to, to tie that back to, or, or to jump back to your question about what it looks like down the track. I mean, on a long enough time scale, and um, my, so, so the democracy piece that I did um, is going to be three parts and I'm finishing part two now and then part three is actually going to be the answer to this question, what I see uh, in the future and, and how I think it'll work. I think it will be far more... Um, commercial in nature um, and economically driven less so than politically driven right mm -hmm. um, so so in my mind it'll be a um, territories operated like um, the, the closest analogy I can think of is like businesses um, yeah. that 
have to service customers, which are their residents. Um, and the, the operators, the owner operators of those territories, I think will look and feel like a fusion between a CEO and a monarch. Um, so like a king and a, um, and a head of a business, um, you know, and, and so, so I think um, that to me seems to be like the, the direction at least um, or, or what that looks like. So, so for me, when I think about Bitcoin, I think about um, the idea of almost like building a fucking dynasty is like, it, it's, um, it's far Yeah, I, I don't know. There's um, the the other thing that I'll just quickly tie in there is like the idea of um, uh, classes that are dynamic in nature. So they're like permeable layers, right? So there'll still be classes of people. There'll still be poor, you know, lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class, rich, ultra rich, and all that sort of stuff. But because we're on a, um, because we've placed money, we, we've placed it into the realm of fucking the speed of light, thermodynamics. Like it, it's it's a physical law of nature now. Like that that heartbeat doesn't change. No one can change it. Nothing. So now all of a sudden we're all playing the same game, which means the the bottom have the opportunity to climb and the top have the opportunity to fall. It'll still be an eighty twenty distribution. When I say still, it will move back towards an 80-20 distribution because at the moment we have a 99.9 and a 0.1 distribution, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it'll 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 rebalance because that 80-20 is actually a fractal, right? Everything is 80-20 basically. So I see that kind of occurring, um, and I see the, the the 20 who do hold 80% of the wealth be more like uh, lords, nobles, kings. So so we'll have this, um, I think, evolution of organic majesty in a sense like so so royalty will will come to play um and yeah less less of this rule by committee more of um uh i don't know i don't know if i should use the word rule but like um leadership through uh integrity maybe like it's yeah a, it's, well it's, you're it's, making me think that like it's it's entirely conceivable that there would there would be a reascendancy and, and perhaps like a novel ascendancy that is unprecedented in many ways whereby it's not just the wealth nor even the capability or skill that determines that position but it really is maybe dependent on the like the concentration of you know wealth for sure but as you just said integrity and honesty and authenticity and courage and like all of these principles that have been so uh, devalued in this existing system, but in nature or in previous times, they've certainly been more valued. And like, maybe people will make it because we say, you know, like, oh, okay, it's just going to be kind of like CEO monarch people and you go where you're treated best. But I, I think when when so many jurisdictions are equalized for what, you know, you, you pretty much offer the same thing, then you're going to choose the jurisdiction who, which aligns most with how maybe even your own aspirations for yourself. It's like, I want to be a part of a community that's led by someone who's a representation of the highest moral mm -hmm. principles that mm -hmm. I can conceive of. And, you know, again, like this is actually in many cases, what the role 
and certainly in it seems like in earlier times of the monarch was it wasn't just the dude with the biggest army who would jack you if you didn't do what he said he was a, a you know god's representative on earth he was you know very much aligned and connected with the deity and and you know we we so in my opinion misinterpret the this historical circumstance in in the modern era because we have such a derogatory view of religion but like him being a representative of god wasn't just to further enhance the perception of his power but was meant to pull down those godly principles of courage mm -hmm. of truth of justice of uh of like honesty of integrity and to embody them and that is what allowed him to have power and influence in addition to the other things that were more you know territorial or mundane let's say and uh i think something i, I wouldn't be surprised if something like that took place because when you equalize for so many other things, it begs a question like, well, what differentiates then? And if we are really entering a, 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 an environment where values are truly able to be expressed and then truly able to be compared, then you're going to have this hierarchical comparison and competition of values. And you're going to look for the places and the people where the values that you most highly value uh, are most represented. And you're going to want to do that because you're going to want to be in an environment where you can refine them yourself. And, you know, so I think the leaders of the future are really going to be like uh, philosopher King type people, but like times a hundred, right. It's going to be, you know, at yeah. the, at the last having the, um, you know, the re referencing how much people seem to change when they fall down the rabbit hole. Like I, I joked, well, not joked, but I, there was some playfulness in me saying like by 2024 having, we're all going to be like Neo Spartan Jedi philosopher King savages, you know, because like these, these transformations that are pushing us in that direction are happening so fast. And I mean, that's such a short time period, you know, you put it, you put 50 or hundred or 500 years on that. And I think our leaders will be like really, really worthy of, of leading and, and respect and all that kind of stuff to the extent we have that type of hierarchical structure, which as you said, will probably be diminished, but not never go away. Well, it, the thing is, hierarchy is just so incredibly important. It's, it's nature's way of prioritization. Yeah. We're not going to get away from hierarchy. It's never going to fucking happen. Um, what we need is we need hierarchies of competence, hierarchies of integrity, um, hierarchies of progress, not hierarchies of fiat, you know, hierarchies of decree and hierarchies of fucking the lowest common denominator, right? Because that, that's what we have today is like this attempt to equalize everybody because, you know, th this is coming back to a, a passage in, um, in the bloody, in the, in the new book we wrote in the Uncommunist Manifesto. It's like we say, um, the reason Marxism is so appealing is because entropy it's easier to align with entropy than it is to align with progress. Like, like it's easier to bring someone down than it is to raise them up. It's easier to destroy than it is to build. Like, so, so that's why, that's why Marxism is so, um, and this was the epiphany I had when we sat down to write the book, like, cause Mark asked me, like, we were just having conversations and stuff like that. It's like, so why, he goes, why do you think Marxism is so appealing? And I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, you know what? It's fucking entropy. It's just, it's just easier. And what Marx and Engels did is they, wrapped entropy they wrapped be, being the lowest laziest shittiest version of yourself into uh an economic uh, sorry an academic framework they, they gave it an academic validation with a bunch of stupid fucking words and now when people read it they're like okay i am entitled 
you know, I don't have to work. It's someone else's fucking responsibility. Like, it's just, it's, it's a, you know, we, we must fight that. And, and th this is what I sort of find beautiful. And I think I referenced this in, in the, in the five Bitcoin teleportation article is just this idea of, I was trying to come to grips with how to define energy, right? Because like, you know, Vaclav Smil, he calls it uh, the, the, the universal currency and, mm. and, you know, without getting all fucking woo woo and shit, like, but you know, energy is everything and energy is everywhere. Right. Like, yeah, bro, go for it. You're with the right person. Don't worry about it. You know, I, <laughs> just, I, um, you know, I think I called it the primordial substance. I'm curious now, let, let me just see what I, how I referenced it. Um, energy, energy, energy. So I, I okay. So um, much like consciousness and randomness, I don't think we have a pr precise definition um, of such phenomena, and I kind of place some um, energy into that uh, realm. Um, mm. But we can make approximations or analogies in an attempt to understand them. So I like to think of energy as the primordial substance. It's everywhere, and not only permeates all, but it's the basic composition of all. Um, so, so like we. <laughs> Fuck a duck. Going into these definitions, I lost my damn self. What the fuck was I talking about? <laughs> uh, entropy and how the reason oh, yeah, why yeah, yeah, things yeah. like collect. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, so, so for me, I kind of view life as this, um, as the fingertips of energy. Like, so you you have energy and energy manifest in all sorts of ways, um, but it's highest most ordered manifestation is life mm. and then if you look at life as a as a complex manifestation of energy like as a highly ordered manifestation of energy consciousness seems to me to be the fingertips of life so if life is the fingertips of energy consciousness is the fingertips of life like so, so it's kind of like we're at the fucking very edge and we are basically embodiments of an anti-entropic force we're going in the opposite direction life seems to be the thing that uh, uh, works in uh, opposition to opposition to entropy and that tying it back to bitcoin is like bitcoin being aligned with kind of like life and nature and these fractals allows us to once again behave in accordance with life and move uh chaos into order like be on that path but not be forced to do it just it being the path of almost least resistance like it's that's the pathway that you're walking on it's because right now no matter how much um we want to be moral and justified and all that sort of stuff like you really have to cut against the fucking grain to to behave morally at this point in time in, in the world because like the the direction of incentives is completely in the opposite way like the map is telling us to go that way and even though the maps like we have to kind of we we have to be strong enough to see through the map and see the territory and like fuck we're about to walk off a cliff you know and then you and I are kind of like pointing in the opposite direction whereas bitcoin kind of like pushes the map into the territory and all of a sudden you can see you're walking off a cliff and it's very easy to start you know walking in a different direction and and with that um reality what you start to get is this people make better value judgments better value judgments uh, result in you know better actions better behavior um it results in you know the economic consequence 
component uh, results in better feedback when it comes to poor behavior. So you correct quicker. It uh, results in doubling down on better behavior. Um, and all of these behaviors, like worse and better, seem to be understood through the reference frame of some sort of nat natural fractal, which to me is basically how you define morality. Um, and over time, through iterations, like I, I make this argument in the article, it's like we we may bake fucking morality into individuals. Like we, we might, through living like that and our kids growing up like that and the incentives being in that direction, we may actually become majestic beings that we've not been able to become before because we were living in the age before having discovered um, perfect money, which is the fusion of, you know, this metaphysical notion of money and the, the physical reality that we're contending with. Like, so, so it's like, that's why for me, this is such a, it's a zero to one moment. I think yeah. more than, just about any other moment before it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm obviously very receptive to that. And, and again, to go back to that idea of if this is a tool, or maybe it's like, you know, on, on the one hand, you could say it's the best interface we've yet established for consciousness to transmute and you know energy into order right? Like it's the best means of doing that. But if we go back to that uh, analogy of it aligning most with how a broader natural pattern functions across all, you know, many different scales, then, it, you know, as you're saying, like, what will that imbue us with? Well, again, this is where it gets kind of religious and spiritual on people, because if your primary, you know, filter or way of engaging the world is more in tune with whatever principles animate our the, the structure of reality, right? And you know, call it God, call it energy, call it love, call it truth, like whatever it is. I mean, it's something, right? There are there are there are reasons why something exists versus nothing. What are the things that cause that to be the case? Whatever they are, the more you align with them, I think, uh, and the more you rely on something for interacting and perceiving in the world that is aligned with them, the more you're kind of imbued with call it godly principles or call it the principles of the structure of the universe or whatever you want to say. But if that really is the case, that this thing is aligning with those, and then we're using that thing to uh, interface with the world and with one another, then how could we not be affected by whatever principles animate it and which it speaks to across all these sorts of different scales. And so, you know, technology is always something that accelerates. Well, it, I mean, if it doesn't accelerate evolution, which it probably does on a long enough time scale, but it certainly allows for different behaviors and different behaviors taken consistently and long enough contributes to evolution and, and adaptive uh, uh, competitiveness and that kind of thing. So, and I mean, I think this is pretty evident that as our technological landscape um, develops, evolution is probably accelerating, even though from our vantage point, it's, it may be difficult to, to discern, but like, you know, evolution, you mentioned something earlier, like, um, when you were talking about how you think hierarchical social structures, you know, people at the top of them, or everyone will have a greater sense of, of dynastic thinking, let's say, 
about their, you know, their families and their bloodlines and that kind of stuff. And that's an interesting notion. And, you know, we could have a, a chat about that, but I think one of the reasons why that's the case, and this is always the case with technology, is that uh, it expands the it expands the spatiotemporal relevance of your own consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. So before mm -hmm. there's anything, right? Before you've, you have any instruments of value, it's mostly the here and now, because 10 years from now isn't relevant in any way to you, right? There's nothing that you can send into the future. There's no way you can ascribe meaning to that future. But once you have something that ostensibly can last into the future ad infinitum, let's say, and also can encapsulate all of the now in terms of being able to be uh, sent anywhere and exist anywhere in, in you know, minute denominations and that kind of thing, then so much more relevance enters your consciousness. And now you're contending with quite literally an expanded consciousness. And so, you know, one of the things that I like to explore is, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, uh, psychedelics are a big part of my own personal development and those have a similar effect, obviously with a different mechanism, but mm. what is the mm. effect of introducing something into your consciousness that so dramatically enhances the relevance or salience of a broader scale of time and space. And I, I think the unavoidable answer is, or at least it seems to me that like your, the world of meaning that you have act, uh, available to you and the time horizons on which it's expands, playing out yeah. expands dramatically too. So it makes, you know, it makes sense that you would now be, and people talk about this in Bitcoin all the time with the time preference thing, but I think it's, to the point about impacting evolution, I think it's more deep than that because that happening powerfully and consistently enough ultimately changes our brain, you know, and probably in a pretty profound way, you know, of course, I don't know the time scale on which it would, it would do that, but it seems to me uh, to make sense that it would have a very powerful effect, probably on, on not too long of a time scale if everything stays in place. Well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I would argue that we've, devolved in three or four generations already like look how fat people are look how lazy they are like i mean <laughs> e even and and i mean that kind of decay and, and i don't know if decay happens as quick or you know faster or slower than um than you know than upward progressive evolution but it's like i mean in a century we seem to have become more fat, slow, stupid, dumb, dependent, retarded um, than ever before, right? Um, and that is, um, we, we know that like what's happening at the moment is, um, you know, evolutionarily speaking um, or fitness speaking, like in, in the current world, the actual incentive is to become as much of a parasite as possible and to, I don't know, to conform as much as possible. Like they seem to be the two uh, fitness outcomes. Right. And, and I, I think I just want to define fitness because I don't think people really know what that word means. Like it, it, it actually is derived from the word fit. Like, so you can fit something. So, so that's what nature is always trying to do is it's try like, it, there's a new circumstance, a new environment, and evolution is trying to fit to that environment so that it can mold adapt you and into survive. shape. Yeah, it's trying yeah. to mold things into shape to most efficiently operate within that environment, right? Correct. So, and the environment we live in is one of complete immorality, complete 
fucking mindlessness, complete. We live in a fantasy land. And, and is, it any, um, is it any surprise that the, the fitness function that exists in all of us seems to be trending people towards being fat, slow, dumb, docile, you know, dependent, conformist, etc. Like, you know, we, we seem to be decaying uh, human beings. So, so this is like fundamentally a divergent thing because some of us are strong enough to not subject ourselves to that because we've been able to, you know, put on the glasses and see the fractals and say, holy fuck, hold on, this is a lie. Um, but if, if, that's, if that's any evidence, and I don't know whether that's just, you know, anecdotally pointing at people and calling them fat because it's easier <laughs> to buy Cheetos today than it was 50 years ago or whatever. I, I don't know if that's evidence to suggest that if the incentives were more aligned with nature, we would also see a drastic change in 50 years. Everyone is fucking fit. You know, as you mentioned, philosopher king savages you know <laughs> running around yeah and like you know maybe well i mean it, it i don't think any you're going to find any argument with, uh with people saying that the fiat system has uh allowed people to abrogate their responsibility for con confronting entropy in the many manifestations in their life right and as a result because you don't have to confront them you're able to well you don't have to become fit for them as you just said right so you can you end up either becoming fit for a system that has very few, far fewer requirements on you or not at all. And you kind of devolve into a blob, you know, with no real, no real direction and no, no real force. And it is interesting that, you know, the, the regenerative hero, the creative hero myth and story and Peterson talks about a lot, like that person is definitionally the one who's most willing to and spends the most time in the most novel environments, right? Let, let's say, mm -hmm. let's say the explorer, that unknown territory of potential and novelty. And naturally that is the, the environment where entropy is exacting the most pressure mm -hmm. because it's mm -hmm. so ill-defined that the grooves are not there yet to allow you to um, yeah, find a groove and therefore um, be less, cause less friction with the entropy or the unknown. So the hero is the one who has to confront entropy the most. And as a result has to become more the fit fist. than anyone because yeah. they have to be able to be rigid enough or adaptable enough or strong enough to confront, uh, unknown, uh, environments, unknown environments that are, that you don't know how they're going to try to shape you and you don't know what kind of pressure they're going to exact on you. So you have to be adaptable to all of them. And, I think the people that are recognizing this even subconsciously, you know, in the world today, because as much as there is, you know, the crazy clown world reaching, hopefully it's fucking Zenith soon. Uh, there's also a growing, <laughs> Hold your breath, bro. <laughs> there's also a growing group of people that are recognizing, you know, the opposite and they don't, you know, I, I mentioned this in my recent piece, but like, many of them don't recognize that what's happening is like they are literally being called to embody the hero archetype in their time and place and in their life. And what do you know, a lot of the ways in which they're preparing for that or attempting to become fit for that 
is doing all of these things that naturally you would expect that person to do in order to be more fit for that process. So they're becoming healthier, they're becoming stronger, they're become, becoming more intellectually sharp, they're becoming more connected with like-minded individuals, they're delving into areas of their, their conscious and subconscious minds that they haven't dealt into, dealt, delved into before to try to extract wisdom and insight and meaning to more ably allow them to push forward into the unknown. Like that's the hero archetype. And we are seeing a shitload of people waking up to that in the world today, which again, you would expect if, if this uh, process of transition that we've been uh, exploring is taking place and it's super, uh, it's awesome to see. I mean, it's super hopeful that to know that whatever, you know, these forces that are at play are, are, are exacting pressure on people to push them in a direction of, of becoming, of strengthening so that you might become, right? Because any pressure, it either uh, hardens breaks you or you breaks you. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, people are making this choice every day with every action in their lives. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty jazzed to see that so many people with, you know, with something like Bitcoin in your back pocket that helps to inspire you and give you the means and the freedom and the confidence to pursue a lot of those things. I mean, that's obviously integral. And this is why we explore why it is and how it is that Bitcoin seems to be having a transformative effect on people's lives and personalities and stuff like that. Um, which again, speaks to the profundity of what Bitcoin represents, you know, because what all these religious stories throughout time, like they're, they're, they're trying to communicate the, the fact that that hero archetype is the greatest thing to strive for because it's what allows you to become adapted what allows you to maximally extract order from chaos and bring it back for the benefit of yourself and all right and so and, and these are powerful archetypes and ideas what does it mean that a phenomenon has emerged that's actually inspiring and propelling people to become that highest representation of individuality that religious stories throughout the ages have have articulated and tried to i guess motivate and inspire people to become i mean again we wind up in this conversation of, and of you know religious territory there, there's there's a point there which i just want to tack on just at the end of that is this um and maybe it ties back into the to the um to the article in the sense of what i wrote about bb and ab as a timeline but yeah. the um the see religion and philosophy and um you know I mean, they're, they're the two big ones, you know, one could say, you know, uh, other institutions of, um, of rulemaking. So like government constitutions, for example, um, the Magna Carta, et cetera. All of these were attempts at basically building maps, right, to help us navigate the territory of the world of life. But they, they were all sort of... Um, they're all kind of um, imperfect. Well, well, they're they're imperfect in the sense that they were decrees of that they were they were written or spoken or decrees to encourage us to act uh, in accordance with these because this is most aligned with life. Mm -hmm. And where Bitcoin trumps everything is that it doesn't even need a decree. All it needs is the reality of. Um, if you lose some Bitcoin because you were dumb, stupid, made a bad decision or whatever, no one's giving it back to you. So, so it's like there's a real 
piece of pain there. <laughs> like, yeah. so, so it, it is like, and, and this is why I, I, I need to fucking finish this article, but I've got one that's called like Bitcoin's greatest gift is, um, is the reintroduction of economic consequence. And when I say economic consequence, I don't just mean like making or losing money. I mean that every action, as we sort of said in the beginning of this thing, is economic in nature. We are all at any point in time running calculus in our very being uh, with respect to where to allocate our precious time, energy, and the resources. Like we, we are, th that's the calculus we are performing all the fucking time. We are making value judgments in order to know how to act in accordance with what we believe is important. So by reintroducing economic consequence, meaning that if you fuck up, you lose, it forces you not by decree, but by the specter of reality or by the, by the, you know, the fusion of um, the map and territory, it, it forces you to behave in a way that is in accordance with the, all of the teachings that philosophy and religion and everything else have before come to tell you verbally, Bitcoin mm -hmm. makes you do it because it is right. Yeah. And it's like, it's so fucking well, profound. It it grounds you to your point earlier about energy. It grounds you in the currency or language of existence itself. That's it. Right. That's and so, it, yeah. and so all of these other, as you say, like, and I, I don't want to short change because meaning and symbols have energy too. Right. So they, there's, that's how they have their relevance. If they didn't, you know, they, they wouldn't have any impact, but I think you're right in saying that because all of these systems as this theme that we've been going with about these kind of concentric patterns of existence that are nestled with one another, you optimize each one of them by making them conform most efficiently to the others, right? And then you have a, a, an integrated whole, you know, who, who the hell knows where it goes infinitely up and infinitely, infinitely down, you know, and this is probably like the tree of life sort of symbology. But uh, I think our systems of government and our systems of religious thought and both institutions obviously are corrupted maybe even from the outset right so let's deal with the ideas and not so much the institutions but they are attempting through their understanding of how we operate how consciousness functions to graph something into that embedded structure and try to say like does this do all the different contours of this thing fit within our own how our own consciousness functions and how like the different orders that we're contending with function and different scales that we're contending with function. And I think part of the reason why something like religion, and it's obviously a very complicated subject, but one of the reasons why it has a power is because there is a profound truth to it. And mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. that's why people adhere to it. And that's why it helps in the ways that it does. And that's why it's so sticky now, like, and then, and then from those religious understandings, we build social and legal understandings. Like that's a next layer or a next one of those rhythms. And we try to have them conform, but because we're humans and we're corruptible and we're, we're imperfect and all that kind of stuff, we, those, those institutions, because they're so influential, end up developing so much power and they become corrupted. And, and then, then everyone gets led, led astray as a result. And as you said, what's so interesting about Bitcoin is one, it is grounded in that because we, everything we do, we know there's an energetic cost, even if it's, if it's not conscious, right? Because we always have to keep, you know, feeding the engine. And so when the, the, the map, as you say, is, is tethered to that very same rule, is speaking the same language, is operating on the same currency, it doesn't even have to explicitly articulate 
almost anything because exactly the, the truth of how it conforms to the other patterns in that stack is built into it. It's, it's, yeah. it's implicit. And yep. I think this is part of the reason why we're seeing such a, how people are so affected by it because you're like, you're trying to make sense in your own mind, why it is when you interact with this thing, it's having such dramatic effects on you. And you, you tr we try to make them explicit because now we're doing the reverse. We're not trying to make the rules explicit and then act by them. We're acting by them and we're trying to understand explicitly what's happening, you know? And so it's, it's, it's bananas really, if, if there's any degree of truth to that. It's, um, you just sort of, uh, I just wrote something, a note while you're talking. It's like Bitcoin shows you, it doesn't tell you. Yeah. And, and I think and that's, that's the best teacher, right? Always, it's always exactly. the best teacher. Yeah. It's it. Don't tell me, show me. And, and it's um, for me, that's like, you know, to, to, to your point about like, you know, all these institutions that we've kind of invented or developed and created uh, along the way throughout, throughout history, like that they've all been an attempt. And, and I make this point in, um, in the article, like where I talk about like before Bitcoin, the transition and after Bitcoin and kind of like how they all are not going to look at each other. And sorry, they're not going to look like each other. And before Bitcoin is this story of, um, of contending with, with, with lack basically um, con contending with the um, contending with, I guess, a, a, a mixture of uncertainty and lack. Cause that's really what, you know, if you look at, the story of humanity, I guess, after the the um, early era of pure hunter gatherers, right? Like, you know, after we killed off a bunch of the large megafauna and stuff like that, and we realized that we had too many people and not enough food, um, we basically like, and this was before the advent of religion and everything, we basically had to contend um, with lack and complete uncertainty, and there were two ways of subsisting. One is I'll beat you over the head and take what you have. Um, or number two is cooperate. And maybe together, if we cooperate, we'll produce enough to keep us all alive. Um, and then, you know, you've obviously got, you mix in there, which is like, if you and I cooperate, we're stronger than one individual. So we can take, you know, if 10 of us cooperate, we can take from five, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So, but what I think the history of BB of like before Bitcoin, this timeline is, what this history is representative of is the um, the calculus of of take being more opportune than cooperate, but over time and over the ages, the realization of great men, whether kings, you know, those who embodied God, um, you know rulers, the Jesuses of the world, the Lao Tzu's, the Buddhas and everything were individuals who realized that, hey, there is a better way instead of just beating each other over head and taking with it. So, so what they attempted to do was create philosophies or metas or, you know, golden threads or ideas that would institute cooperation over violence as a means for contending with lack and uncertainty. Um, and that's that's sort of been the history up until Bitcoin. And I mean, 
notwithstanding the period of transition, which is most likely going to be ugly, on a post-hyper-Bitcoinized standard, um, the calculus of take versus cooperate completely changes. Like at the moment, self-custody is okay. But in a hundred years, like the idea of being able to take somebody's Bitcoin will be so fucking unfathomable. It's not even funny, right? So, so, so the ability to by force confiscate someone's wealth is not going to physically be able to exist. And as a result, you know, the, the cost of defense is going to basically disappear and the cost of attack is going to be way too high. So it'll actually force us to not just behave in accordance with um, the morality of cooperation because someone said so or because it's the right thing to do because someone has observed um, and has the, you know, the integrity of philosophy, you know, th their integrity of philosophy is great enough such that to, you know, propose such a way of living. It doesn't require that anymore. It, ju it just is how you do it. Um, and this, this is what you do. And that's why I think like, you know, in many ways, I was, I was talking to Kaz this morning um, about this and I came up with a, with this framing of Bitcoin as what I'm going to try and call like an, an apex discovery or an apex innovation, right? Like it is a, it is a peak for now. Like um, if you look back on history, everything we've done, every institution we've created has been an attempt to incentivize cooperation over theft right, or cooperation over violence, even though they've decayed and they've turned into violence themselves and all this sort of stuff, the, the, the initial intent of them was to say, hey, let's not kill each other, let's actually work together, right? Um, so you've got that. And the other, the other theme that is consistent across history is this attempt to discover a way to encode and transact the product of our labor, right? So basically, the, the better the money, the more complex society. Um, so, so those two stories together have basically been a pathway to discovering Bitcoin. And now Bitcoin is actually perfect for both. Like, so, so it's a, it's an apex moment. Like you can't get, it's impossible to get better money. Like there is nothing better. Like, you know, money is the three functions. We know, you know, uh, store value, medium exchange, unit of account. But I, I think people underestimate what those three things mean. Like store of value to me means I know my proportion, uh, in relation to the whole. That's all that store of value means. It doesn't even mean stable purchasing power and all this other fucking crap. Like, you know, it definitely doesn't mean price. It mm -hmm. doesn't even mean stable purchasing power. It actually means knowing your proportionality. So Bitcoin's a 10 out of 10. You can't get better than that. It is a perfect medium exchange. Medium exchange, once again, has nothing to do with transactional throughput. It has purely to do with my ability to transact the product of my labor with another without requiring any permission. Bitcoin is perfect there. And then the unit of account is one that I sort of had a recent epiphany is like, you know, people try and relate unit of account to, you know, divisibility and all this sort of stuff. But really the, the epiphany that I had was um, we've never actually had a real unit of account because we haven't been able to account for the total supply of money before um, to be able to properly understand uh, the value of everything else. So we've had an unknown on both sides of the equation. Bitcoin's the first time we've actually had a known on one side of the equation. So, so therefore we can account everything else uh, extraordinarily in, in much higher fidelity. So in many ways, unit of account is a re relative of store of value. So it's like we've reached the 10 out of 10 across all of these. And what that does by 
you know, reintroducing economic consequence by all the other things that we've sort of mentioned really fucking separates the AB, like the after Bitcoin period from the before Bitcoin period in, in a way that I don't think any of us can even begin to fucking fathom at this point in time. Like we're, we're going to, you know, Bitcoin's a battery, Bitcoin's a mushroom, Bitcoin's Jesus, Bitcoin's fucking gravity, Bitcoin's life, Bitcoin's <laughs> fucking an asset, Bitcoin's, you know, whatever. Like it's all these hashtag things. Bitcoin, hashtag Bitcoin, Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what the um, fuck? So anyway. um yeah i mean i got a bunch that i want to talk to touch on there but i i think i have no idea and maybe nobody does really like or maybe that, that might be an, an ignorant statement but like it seems to me that whatever occurred around the time of either the idea of christ or the actual person of christ whatever the truth is there something happened and something was later interpreted of being of being such significance that they decided to pin you know mm -hmm. the epoch on that point in time to say a new era has begun and it you know maybe it's aspirational we want it to be imbued with these principles that we've discovered in their most refined form ever here today because we realize how much can be derive from from doing so and by living from those principles and having them propagate and having them serve as a foundation for how we think about ourselves and how we interact and all that kind of stuff and i know there's a ton of nuance but let's just go with that if that's the case i mean it seems so obvious to me that we will whether it's next year or 100 years from now put another pin down and say this next epoch is defined by this thing. And as you said at the beginning, like, and as we, I'm exploring on a lot of my pods lately and everyone, a lot of other people are as well, like we won't be putting the pin in and saying, this is when we discovered sound money. That's not how we're going <laughs> to refer and describe this thing. We're going to describe it very, very differently than that. And, you know, obviously in my recent piece, I, I alluded to it's, you know, how it's like a Messiah, although obviously of a different kind. And so, you know, that seems very evident to me. And one of the interesting things you were saying, you know, because one of the things I think about a lot, and I want to ask you this, and this goes back to like the political structure sort of uh, discussion. But, you know, there were guys like us um, a thousand years ago, 5,000 years ago, you know, who wanted more freedom, who could see the conceit and the corruption and the, the uh, how illogical the structure of everything was, but they couldn't. They didn't have the tools, right? They didn't have the tools to establish it to the degree that, that they wanted. And notwithstanding, we're always going to aspire beyond our, our current circumstance and beyond our reach. But, you know, we, we and the, the, the sovereign individual like deals with this a lot where they kind of, there's a certain technological determinism, right? It's like, you can have whatever theories you want. You can be a Marxist, a capitalist, a, a this or that. The technological circumstance of the time is going to characterize as they use the term logic of violence and, and other things that take place in that time. And that will be the prime, if not only determinant of how society is structured. And I agree, like if, if Bitcoin just continues to condense all, uh, well, more, it sucks more and more non-utilitarian, let's say value. It, it takes all the monetary premium 
and then and then some right what, what other forms of value we don't use to like literally consume and, and subsist on <clears throat> it condenses into bitcoin and as you say i mean this changes the logic of violence tremendously because you know you may not you're not going to ride into the next citadel and and take shit over if all you have access to is like their banana trees and you know the cattle that they're there are on the land you know that's not worth the risk and i you know there's definitely a lot of truth to that but what do you think will be the role of violence in the future when we have a a, a foundation like this you know and even in kind of like when we were talking about the the kings and ceo monarch sort of uh, way that these things might be structured at some point like even then who is the sovereign that defines the boundaries of the land even like and i know there'll be cooperation and all that kind of stuff but power will still exist and the discrepancy between power will still exist and the relative gain even though it'll be dramatically reduced will still exist in some form mm -hmm. so in an environment like this you know for i'll first say like i think it's possible that you know the reason why the jedi kind of uh imagery came to my mind a few years ago is because like they're so minimalist minimalistic right they're so pared down it's such a such a stoic existence and if all of your your wealth and value is wrapped up in your in the force or in your chi or in your bitcoin then the world around you can become far more simple you know for lack of a better term but what do you think um so i think there'll be less to steal and all that jazz and we'll have a the, the mm -hmm. environment around us will be constructed by quality and beauty so much more than it is today and it'll be built in in forms that aren't capable of or worth stealing per se but still this 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 the, this utility of violence doesn't go away and i'm wondering how you think it gets restrained or altered in this this kind of environment yeah so so i'll answer that this way i think um territory becomes that which you can economically defend um and that which you can make economic deals to co-defend um, so at the moment, like to defend a landmass the size of the US, um, the US needs to perform all sorts of politicking and it needs to remain fraudulently economically viable, printing money, taxing, you know, borrowing from the future, whatever shenanigans it pulls, um, in order to maintain some sort of protection across its borders. As that um, crumbles and as it becomes more expensive to defend larger territories, you naturally have to shrink your border. Um, you have to shrink um, down what you can actually defend. Um, because peace, like I, I wrote a little paragraph or parable recently about like um, peace being the, um, the potential for uh, mutual violence, right, is more than just like so so kind of like peace has a carrot and a stick right in order for peace to exist you need to be able to inflict violence you need to be able to sorry you need to be able to inflict damage um so so the capacity for violence needs to exist and needs to exist on both sides like there's a there was a great quote that i read from some dude um his name was aj kumar or something like that but he kind of says if you put two tigers in a in a cage um and you throw some meat in there they actually won't fight 
um, what they'll probably do is they'll kind of like tear up the meat between each other because they know that the other tiger can cause significant damage to the other one. Um, but if you put a dog and a tiger in a cage and throw some meat in there, the tiger will eat the, the meat and the dog because <laughs> yeah. there's no there's no potential for um for, for violence. So so basically, I think violence will still exist. But what will happen is, and and this is by no means going to happen tomorrow. This is like a fucking messy process that might take. 50, 100, 200, 300, 500 years. I don't fucking know how long it takes. But what I think you end up getting is um, a patchwork of territories that are privately owned. So, like, I'll have my fucking dynasties. So, so there'll be, like, Svetsky fucking land and then Valis land. And we might <laughs> form an alliance. Like, our descendants might form an alliance. They've got, like, a big-ass fucking statue of you in one and me in the other. <laughs> and um, I know this shit sounds crazy, but, like, hear me out <laughs> it's like these these territories will need to defend their fucking borders somehow um and form alliances amongst each other so that um you know the the capacity for violence exists for any aggressor so that way there is damage to be had if you go and aggress um against a particular territory so um i think the, the process to getting there is going to be quite messy, um, probably at times violent, et cetera. But the, um, the size of these territories will basically have a natural limit because the larger the territory gets, the more complexity you end up with it, it that you end up within it. And the, the, you basically get like this um, convexity in terms of um, ability to manage a territory like the larger it gets the more economically infeasible it becomes and what i think we'll end up having is like i said a, a patchwork of city states mini nation states communities etc that ally you know defend stuff etc um become prosperous trade whatever the case is so and 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 violence will become the thing that occurs but it's not institutionalized i think today violence is institutionalized because um you can under the veil of democracy or legality um you can basically uh give yourself the legal right to plunder um which is a form of violence that you know the government has whereas um you know a robber or a fucking you know some mini terrorist or something like that i mean and, and terrorism is another thing it's like Terrorism is really just a function of uh, pushing back against the state. Anyway, you remove the state, it starts to diminish the, the nature of terrorism as well. So it's like all these sorts of things really start to change, you know, after multiple decades and maybe a couple centuries of, um, of transition. So I, I don't know if that, um, if that answers, but I think the, the two takeaways there is like territory becomes that which you can economically defend um, and by default becomes a lot smaller um, and therefore you can manage violence within that kind of territory and um, you know it becomes commercially relevant to um, to manage violence yeah it, it'll obviously be very interesting to see how it plays out but you what do you think about the the transition period because you know again going back to the sovereign individual thesis if there is like a large aspect of technological determinism here, then the model of being able to siphon off wealth from the citizens that decide to remain in your jurisdiction and then deploy that against your adversaries, 
uh, versus will, will still be will still prevail. And the thesis would have to be for this transition to be successful would be that that model ultimately would would lose to or fail when coming up against, let's say, a distributed network of jurisdictions that are not doing that. They're, they don't siphon off well from their citizens. Everyone is there voluntarily, but they still, by some capacity, are able to repel or outlive or otherwise resist the the legacy model, let's say. Yeah, it's it's in that sense, like, I mean, it's, it's a war of attrition because what's happening is... Um the the ones who are uh, attacking, so the aggressors who are uh, doing so via the confiscation of their citizenry's wealth, um, they're working with a diminishing capital base. Yeah, they have more money, they're printing more money, but what they actually have less of is actual real capital. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's capital that actually you know, produces value. It's capital that is actually traded for. Um, and the problem they've got is that they have the um the dominance right now but you have they're they're on the they're on the wrong side of the gradually then subtly equation um for 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 them the the rug pull happens so fucking quickly um that they need to um move very quickly but i don't think their organizational structure is designed or even capable of moving quickly enough to stop something like this so what will happen is that they're going to continue getting brain drained they're going to continue getting resource drained um the value of the paper that they're uh that they're funding themselves with will continue to to lose value and 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 there comes a point where basically um and and this is for me is where you know bitcoin gaps up to you know a million five million ten million hundred million in a very in a very short period of time it's that nobody for any price will trade you any of their bitcoin um, like it, it has to be for a product or service. And, and at that point, like the, um, you know, the, the, the carrot that the state has in order to um, aggress against another, um, sorry, the, the carrot that the state has in order to, um, to incentivize the constituents, you know, of their territory to aggress against another disappears very quickly. And then they're only mm-hmm. left with a stick and then the stick never lasts very long. Right. So um that that kind of crumbles under its own under its own pressure. Um, so because you know th- they're going to suffer from defections, they're going to suffer from you know basically the, the pushing on a string versus the pulling. Like and pull always beats push. That that's that's another I guess physical thing. It's like you know to to pull something towards you beats always beats having to push something um, to, to get it to get it to come to you. So it's like I don't know. It, it, that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that um, the, the transition is going to be um, clean or neat. I think the transition is going to be extraordinarily ugly because imagine, I mean, think about like, you know, that, that tw- uh, the video that was on Twitter the other day with those three Karens in Canada who have become <laughs> down ladies. Right? Mm. Imagine what happens to psychos like that when all of a sudden they can't eat. Like there's no food at the grocery store. Um, the UBI check, you know, can barely buy them a gallon of milk. Um, like those people are the first to become cannibals or the first to become um, the object of cannibalism. One of the two. They, they get a lesson in fitness real quick. Real fucking quick. Exactly. But, but the thing is like those people f- will freak the absolute fuck out 
as the institutions that they've put all their trust in start to crumble. Um, and that becomes a very dangerous situation because like, you know, for all this talk about, you know, post Bitcoin, hyper Bitcoinization, you know, a world where, you know, theft is disincentivized and all that sort of stuff to actually get to the promised land, we've got to cross this really fucked up river. And, you know, that Rubicon is going to be disgusting, man. You know, that people will be desperate and in desperation, robbing, stealing, killing, thieving, fucking you name it will emerge like the greatest yeah, well, we see it in many places time. already i mean you look at places like san francisco and you know a lot of blue states in the u.s and certain places in the world where the you know the depravity of sustenance and and capital leads to depravity of you know morality in in many ways and then it just all collapses you know and it, it yeah. turns into like a hunger game sort of situation and you know i obviously i try to be optimistic but you know you want to plan to be able to insulate yourself from that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you, you know, you mentioned in the piece, uh, the idea of the great filter, right? Like, and, you know, uh, is it the Fermi paradox where it's like, is the reason why we don't see much life in outer space might be because, you know, when civilizations get sufficiently advanced, they just end up destroying themselves, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we got a lot of nukes in the world. You know, I know this is a dark question, yeah. but like what, you know, things, then if the nation states that currently control those things, uh, start falling apart and they become just as an entity, like a person, especially desperate. Yeah. Desperate, I mean, yeah. what happens to, you know, the, the great filter and the fact that we've got like, you know, hundreds of thousands of nuclear warheads in the world. Isn't that like, that's a big, that's kind of a big fly in the ointment of, with everything. Right. It really is. It really is. So, so, so there's a, there's a separate piece that I wrote, which was dedicated to just the great filter idea. And I'm going to release that, or I think Bitcoin Magazine is going to release that in the next month or so as part of like a special publication. But in there, I elaborate on this idea of Great Filter a little bit more. And in there, I basically point out there's four, there's four big risks that um, any intelligent sentient species would probably face. Um, and we're at the cusp of, you know, where those four risks um, basically come together. Um, and... The, the, the ironic thing about it, and this is the irony of life, is that it's also at that point where that sentient intelligent species is advanced enough to discover energy money, right? So, so like they all have to happen at the same time. And this is why I think like Bitcoin is the point of the great filter, like it's, it's right there. So, so number one is getting, um, and this one we have little control over, but it's getting wiped out by a fucking comet or an asteroid. Now that one is just the race against time. That one is a function of randomness. That is like, you know, if we happen to be at the, you know, stage of being amoebas um, and, you know, like very early eukaryotes, or prokaryotes or whatever, and we got wiped out by a fucking comet, well, fuck, you know, bad luck. We're going to have to start again, but at least we're early on in the phase. We might get to the phase of like, you know, other species might have gotten to the phase of like stones and, you know, like, um, uh, tools or then maybe they got to the electricity point maybe they had their own Nikola Tesla and then the fucking comet hit it's like fuck you know too late but like that one is kind of like a, a luck of the draw sort of thing like we have to be extraordinarily advanced in order to see something like that coming and hit it out of the park and, and this is why I argue that you know we get on an energy money standard we um, you know we end up like a got this idea of like the world can sustain a hundred billion people because at the moment we waste 99% of our resources and energy and time. Like if we didn't, we could be extremely prosperous and with a hundred billion people, like the level of innovation, it, 
makes you, would make your fucking mind like melt in terms of thinking what we could do. So then mm. things like asteroids don't become a problem anymore. We can just, you know, build an intergalactic baseball bat and hit it out of the way. So, so anyway, that's risk number one. Risk number two, and the, 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 the next three are like basically where things get realistic now is risk number two is one or a set of megalomaniacs push the red button. That's the nuke. Um, risk number three is um, we build out digital panopticon gulags that you know you own nothing and you'll be happy in your fucking pod and your you know uh intravenous mrna fucking vaccination and um you know vr goggles um and number four is obsolescence via some sort of spontaneous emergence of an artificial intelligence right mm -hmm. so it's like we, we we either build one of two ais you know one that basically adopts our broken current values um, and outcompetes us in a fiat system and views the art competition as like, get rid of this shit. Um, or number two is it actually has good values and looks at us as retarded and says, get rid of this shit. <laughs> so it's like, you know, but both kind of dangerous. So th they are all like very real risks. Um, and the nuke one is, um, I mean, I don't know which one's the most risky, but it seems like the nuke one is the one that um, is the most risky in the sense that Bitcoin will have the hardest time stopping that because Bitcoin kind of counteracts um, uh, the it's ready to go. Panopticon it's right there. Gulags, you know, like for example. Yeah, that exactly. button exists. So, it, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the other two are still in the making, right? So it can kind of reverse those. Um <laughs> You're like, I don't know, man. We're we're probably fucked. <laughs> basically, we we have a small chance to basically have anyone that is anywhere near the red buttons. If they hold some Bitcoin, there's a chance we make it. Well, if I they mean... don't hold if they don't hold any Bitcoin um, and they're near the red button, that could be really bad. If they're like, for example, if they hold Dogecoin, like if Kim Jong Un bought Dogecoin because Elon Musk said so. We're all fucked. Yeah, well, it should be easy enough to get some Bitcoin in in uh, somebody's hands who's at the helm like that. So that that actually makes me kind of more hopeful. But um, I know it's an unanswerable question. But let, let me ask you this, and maybe we'll we'll wind it down uh, with this. But you know, being the ones that are in the transitionary period, and being the ones that are and even we, some of we all come from different backgrounds, of course, and some of us adopted a broadly speaking, a more stoic lifestyle prior to Bitcoin. But like, we are the ones who got all, all of our signals and all of our conditioning from like the height of fiat. Right. And so we're having to navigate, you know, we're that transition, which is occurring primarily within ourselves, right? Like there's, as we've been alluding to this whole time, like this thing is fostering great change and that, in, that change is internal as well as external. And, you know, really the, the line between them is not, we, we externalize what's happening internal, internally and that's our lives and that's culture and everything. So, and I, I think you fall into the category of having uh, confronted a lot of, you know, becoming fit to use the terminology we've been using prior to Bitcoin in many ways, like envisioning somewhat of a, having similar principles and ideals and as a result, becoming fit to align with them and that kind of thing. But, you know, given the potential for uh, a disruptive transition that we've been talking about and the hopeful aspects of what may lie on the horizon, 
have you noticed, you know, like these sorts of internal, like reorienting changes occurring in you? And if so, how do you uh, navigate that properly? And the, the last little bit I'll say about that is like, one of the things that everyone has to confront today, who's quote unquote, waking up is just the sheer frustration with the way things are, you know, the, the clown world, broadly speaking, and just how intrusive, how dangerous, how oppressive, how damaging, et cetera, et cetera, it all is. And, you know, it's my opinion that if we're going into, I mean, if we're participating in an accelerated evolution, and if we're trying to go into and create a better world, like we have to be the ones to, uh, you know, kind of participate in this alchemical transformation so that we navigate every aspect of this properly. And you know, like the, like the truckers in Canada are kind of a, a good example right now, whereby like, I'm sure that a lot of them are super frustrated and I'm sure there's an impulse to express that frustration physically. You know, like if a police gets up in your grill and they're starting to jack you around or if counter protesters, like, of course we, we have an animalistic impulse to fight back. And coming to grips with the validity and, and necessity of restraint in going forward into this new era that we've been describing, describing, I think is probably important. So big question, I know, but how has all of this impacted how you uh, make yourself fit for a new emerging world? Mm. How to answer this one? Um, let, let me let me say this one. I don't know if this is going to answer it, but um, but maybe maybe there's a maybe there's an answer in here somewhere that you can uh, pull a thread on. Um, is I've tried to change my my tune or my my um the end that I'm desiring to be more about quality and less about quantity. And um, I've become what I'm calling these days, like an exclusionary principle maximalist. So like, I want to say no to more things. Um, and I want to be, um, you know, maybe this relates to your Jedi thing, right? It's like this, um, I, I'm, I'm, coming to terms with wanting to have less to do with the world. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to extract myself across multiple dimensions and really simplify things. Like if like my, my ideal life would just be do one or two podcasts a month, um, do some writing and go and basically do something very similar to what you're doing with your life at the moment. Right. So, so it's like, and I don't know if this is answering the question, but it's like I'm, I'm trying to, in a sense, kind of Jedi slash John Galt slash something like that myself um, and exclude more from life um, because I think one of the other currencies as we're transitioning into this, you know, weird, as we're transitioning through the clown show element of the great transition is that um, is lightness and flexibility are going to be extremely important for our ability to adapt and be fit uh, coming into um, this phase. Because as, as much as you and I 
and people like us are lucky enough to be born at this time. Like we're honestly the founding fathers of the the AB period, right? So before Bitcoin, you know, there was clusterfuck and after Bitcoin, there will be beauty, but the price we're going to have to pay to come to the after Bitcoin phase is going to be maybe decades of fucking mindlessness. Um, and the the upside for you and I is that we'll be able to plant seeds for fucking dynasties that might last thousands of years. Um, the downside is that we're going to have to live through what is arguably going to be the most retarded period of human history ever. Like we're going to see men having babies. We're going to see people falling in love and having relationships in virtual reality. We're going to see, you know, apparently people being gang raped in the metaverse, whatever other dumbness we're going to see, like it's going to get incredibly stupid. And it's probably as a result of the stupidity when reality catches up, it's also going to get incredibly violent. Um, so we're going to like the price we have to pay to plant the seeds of the dynasty is to like live through that. And in order to live through that, we need to be as fit and adaptable as possible. And to be as fit and adaptable as possible, we need to be as light and flexible as possible. Um, and to be light and flexible, we need to be exclusionary maximalists. We need to say no. And we need to be, you know, we need to think about selectivity instead of inclusivity. Um, so it's kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if that answers what you were trying to say no, it, or what you're does. trying to ask. It does. And for that reason, you know, to be light and adaptable, there's a pragmatic reason to pare down, right? To like to minimize the things in your life that you have to manage, let's say. But I also think, like we were talking about earlier, there's this reascension or, or revaluation of what are probably like transcendent values or principles that like and what i'm trying to you know think about lately and and explore is just why it is they they generate so much satisfaction so like you just mm -hmm. said like an ideal day would be like you know wake up walk on the beach swim in the ocean go train eat good food with good people you know talk about interesting ideas that kind of thing and like that's all and and the people that you would choose to be around and the, the qualities within yourself that you're probably trying to refine are like courage and honesty and intellect and wisdom and, and, you know, those sorts of things. And those are all, you know, just kind of transcendent, but also free, like they don't cost anything, but somehow in this environment, uh, refining them actually gives you more like joy in a sense. It's like the, the more you can, mm -hmm. you understand those aspects of yourself and amplify them, they are fulfilling in themselves. And like, you know, the idea of some like big mansion or a Lambo or whatever else uh, having the same effect is, is almost laughable, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 it's funny how by whatever, whatever process is going on and whatever role Bitcoin and the principles that are imbued in it and being implicitly communicated has, it seems to be at least somewhat related to this dramatic paring down and re reappraisal of, of what are truly the most valuable things and then doing our best to refine and embody them. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I, that's uh, well, an unexpected result of a sound money of magic internet money for sure. But it's, uh, <laughs> I, this is why I kind of envision a future where uh, things are far more simplistic and the things that are like built out into the world are much more a manifestation of those very principles. 
like the yeah. iconography and the environments and all that stuff that we want to be in and that, and that artists pursue and that kind of stuff, not dissimilar to ages past, but they will be reflections of integrity. They will be reflections of truth, truth and honesty, or they will be reflections of courage or things like that. And it's just, um, it's, I mean, it, it's also poetic uh, that coming out of fiat clown world that idolizes anything, but that of mm -hmm. course the, like the, the reactionary response to that or the, or the, you know, the pendulum swing in the, in the other direction would be a total dismissal of all the values that the fiat world assigns to objects and a refinement and revaluation of the things that are most real because they are the things that most fill us up with joy and happiness and meaning. And that's awesome. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I, I, I feel that, every day in my life. And it's part of the reason I, I pursue some of these like fumbling more esoteric conversations is because I think there's like actually a benefit to doing so to, to, to coming to grips in a more articulated or refined sense of like exactly what and why those things internally experienced are filling you up with, with so much meaning and, and, and guiding your life to such a degree, like, you know, and it's, it's challenge, you know, because we've, we've, these aren't things that we've been taught in large part, and they're not things that we've been incentivized or or inspired or encouraged to explore. But here we are coming out of the, the mud being like, you know, starting to identify that, no, that this is, these are the things we need to refine and explore. And these will form the foundation of what comes next, whether or not, you know, statues of you and I end up being any, anywhere near <laughs> or a part of that, but like the ideas and the, the, the understandings, almost certainly will be well we do know that the statues are gonna have to like equalize our height a little bit you know what i mean <laughs> otherwise we can't have like a midget statue <laughs> oh, i'm gonna put that in my will i'm gonna be like make sure you little fuckers that the statue you make is as tall as valis's fucking statue right <laughs> put some uh, booster shoes on my statue an extra marble block underneath or something otherwise you ain't getting the fucking bitcoin that's gonna be the message to my end <laughs> My descendants. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. Well, speaking of becoming fit, I have a uh, kickboxing class to get to. So, any final mm -hmm. words before we shut this down? Look, um, thank you for having me on to discuss this. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I really want to like long term. I think, I think this is what I'm going to actually base because you know, surprise, surprise, I'm going to write a Bitcoin book too. But um, I'm going to. I think I'm going to call it five Bitcoin teleportation, but I'm actually going to dig into the the step changes all throughout history that has sort of led us to Bitcoin. And then I'm going to dedicate the second half to actually thinking about these questions. Like what's the great transition going to look like? What is the world, you know, post type of Bitcoinization, you know, how we can think long-term. And because I, I would suggest that you and I are probably not going to be alive for hyper Bitcoinization. Um, you know, we might have to live through the great transition. It might, you know, the clown show might go on another 50, 60, 70 years. I don't fucking know. Mm -hmm. um, but we kind of need to be prepared for, for all of these. And, um, and yeah, I think I want to do that, but I'd love to, you know, anyone listening to this to, to have a read of the piece and just reach out to me on, you know, mostly Twitter and just tell me what your thoughts are, et cetera. Um, so, so why, that's kind of why time, why teleportation and not time travel? I feel well, like time travel would have been the ambitious uh, one to be like, that's the next big thing. 
Well, 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 maybe, maybe. Like the only reason I mention it is because it was kind of like the meme when me and Francis were driving in the car, right? Like right, right. he just kind of said, "Ah, oh, fuck, I don't know, teleportation." So I kind of used it as a meme. Like maybe, maybe it is, you know, fire Bitcoin time travel. I don't know. Um, so, you know, that they, they, yeah. I mean, that's that's my answer to that. So, <laughs> yeah. Fair to enough. to so to wrap this up, yeah, definitely. Um, check out the piece, reach out to me. I'd love to hear some feedback. Um, and then, yeah, dude, I'm going to be doing uh, edition five soon and edition six. So I want to do two editions in 2022 of the Bitcoin Times. And I actually want to talk to you about, like I'm going to call one of the editions either, it's going to be called The Savior or Messiah. So like I want you involved in in one of those um, for yeah, be awesome. one of the subsequent decisions. Well, I, uh, I love your writing, man. And thank you. Bro. I still don't understand how you, pump out so much of it because writing is extremely challenging for me and I avoid it at all costs. And even when I do sit down to do it, it's, it seems like torture just to tease out anything resembling like a unique or well-articulated thought. And you just hear like every other week, just putting stuff out. So I got to commend you for uh, whatever you do to make that happen. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll be seeing each other soon, hopefully in Miami. Absolutely, brother. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thank you for having me on and we will 100% catch up in mind. All right, brother. Take care. Take care, man.